this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. Is we, we have the funds already to build two houses, so that's $6,000. And we need some labor for that. And, and so to, I hope that you'll help me today is beginning to sign up. If, this is going to be on a Saturday, December the 1st. We, we chose that day so that we could build these houses in one day. We're going to start early, and by the afternoon, we're going to dedicate that house. And we chose Saturday because uh, there are teachers and others that are working Monday through Friday. Saturday was the best day we could come up with uh, to give the most opportunity for the most people of Access Church to go out and serve. And so we have a sign-up sheet. I believe it's on this table over here. And Madeline says yes. And so uh, if you'll begin to sign up, because we're going to take two buses, and you can drive on your own, but we're going to go down into um, Alotanango or Esquitla area to serve two families affected by the June 3rd uh, volcanic eruption of Fuego. And so here we are, almost six months later, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that, because six months later as a church, we have not forgotten uh, these, uh, these families that lost everything in an afternoon. And so we're going to be able to serve uh, two families. We'll have more information about those two families. But I hope that you'll help us again. Sign up. We have about 75 seats on the bus. And I want those of you that actually are here on Sundays because we're getting requests from folks that don't even know us, haven't been here, and say, hey, we want to build that house. Well, I'd like for you guys to have that first opportunity uh, to help us with those two houses. So please sign up today. We have today also... For Be Rich, we have special envelopes, and we're going to have these uh, offering at the end of the message today. But if you designate your giving today, and you, we have these envelopes for you, Be Rich. Uh, besides these envelopes, you can also go online or through the app for access, and you can also and designate Be Rich. 100% of what comes in under Be Rich is going to be giving away, 100% of it. So we're asking for 100% participation that we would give 200 Q or $25 for each of us. Um, and so designate that for Be Rich. And I'm challenging you, if you would, to help us above your normal giving. But whatever, whatever comes in and however, however it comes in, we're going to give it all away. And so you'll get a report this week of how much comes in for Be Rich. And we'll continue to, uh, to share with you as we go. Maybe we raise enough money for a third house. If that happens, we'll, we'll do that. Um, if there's an urgent need in an, a nonprofit or some need among you, feel free to let us know that. Send us an email. Send us a message. Drop a note in the offering basket. Let us know that you're aware of a need that we could help meet. And so we're joining uh, like 70 churches across 16 states in the U.S. and uh, four other countries besides us and 115,000 people or more joining together to make a huge impact. And so that, that challenge for each of us to give to be rich is so that we can collectively have a big impact um, as a church. Now, we're going to be looking at give, serve, and love over the next three weeks. And today we're looking at giving and that, that was what the video was about as we get this series kicked off. But we're going to be sharing from James chapter 5 this morning. And he, James, the brother of Jesus, and he, he shares something that's a bit interesting and something that 
Um, I get to experience firsthand, uh, even this morning. You know, I grew up in Kentucky, and a big thing that I enjoyed in Kentucky because I got it on a daily basis was biscuits. Are there any other biscuit fans here this morning? All right, I'm telling you. I mean, before there was ever a tortilla in my life, there was the biscuit. And, you know, biscuits are hard to come by in Guatemala. I, I sometimes will go to KFC and go through the drive-thru just to get a box of biscuits. And I'll, I'll just, you know, kind of uh, limit myself to maybe one or two a day for several days and so I can eliminate that biscuit. And um, save a lot. Save a lot. Thank goodness for save a lot because save a lot has been having uh, biscuits for a couple years now. And so I can go and buy a biscuit. The thing about biscuits from a can uh, is that you have to um, uh, watch, watch the date. You have to watch the date. And we have a tendency, we get so excited when there are biscuits that we tend to buy a lot of biscuits. And we put them in the refrigerator. And this morning, just getting back from Costa Rica last night, I've been there a few days and discovered that they don't serve tortillas at any meals. Maybe some of you already know that. Uh, I asked for bread, and they would bring me this little piece about the size of my pinky. I mean, these people do not eat bread. And so I, I knew, I even thought of this last night, I, I, I thought, I'm going to go back, and, and I, I know we have Save-A-Lot biscuits, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make me a big batch of biscuits. And so I got up this morning, and I turned the oven on 350 degrees. Don't follow the directions. Follow what I'm telling you. We're at 5,000 feet here, people. 350 degrees. And I get out the can, and I have a little trouble popping it open. And I, I look on the end, and it's expired in October. And I thought about it for a moment. I thought, ah, do biscuits go bad? <laughs> but I've been working on this for a few days, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to take my chances with a biscuit. I mean, this, this isn't milk, this isn't meat. I'm going to take my chances with this uh, uh, roll of biscuits and probably some of you this morning you know that I have a few more rolls in my refrigerator that have also expired and some of you are saying I don't care I'll take the biscuits and that's what I did this morning I made me a roll of biscuits and I, there was actually one left when we came back down but the thing about that is that you know when we bought them uh, last month the expiration date was good and we bought a bunch of them we kind of hoarded those biscuits, if you will, because I, I took biscuits that maybe some of you could have bought, but I have them in my house, and now they've expired. And then, then you've got to decide, well, do we throw them away because the date is bad, or do we use them? And that's kind of the direction that we're looking at this morning in Scripture, is that there's a, there's a possibility that we could hoard what comes to us, what we choose to buy what comes into our hands. And that's what I want to look at with you this morning. Let's look at James chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 1. And James says, listen, you rich people. And I've I read that for years. And I... And I, I you know, sometimes in Scripture you can read something and you just keep going because well, that obviously doesn't apply to me. And then the same with this. It would be very easy for us to read through this and say, well, well, <clears throat> that's for those rich people. 
and uh, that's who he's talking to, and we can automatically dismiss chapter 5 of James, and because that's for the rich people. But the thing is that I discovered a few years ago that I had, compared to the whole world, I have a bit more than I realized. And I want you to look at, I shared this in our small group Tuesday night, but if you look at everglobalrichlist.net or .com, this website will let you plug in in dollars or pounds or euros, I think even Kitsalas, but I, I use dollars in this case. And you can plug in the income that you have, and I would challenge you to do that. Plug in your annual income. We're almost to the end of the year. You can probably take a pretty good guess. But here's the thing. If you have a household income of $7,000, you're in the top 20% of the world's wealth. Can you imagine that? That means there are 80% of the world has less income than you do. Because many are getting by in a dollar a day or less working and working hard and, and striving and having a daily existence, and, and many in Guatemala. And yet there are many that I know in Guatemala that their income is, is $7,000 a year, $10,000 a year. Plug in a number. Plug in the number you would like to have and see where you stack up. So back to James, if he says, now listen, you rich people, I realized a long time ago that that was exactly speaking to me, and just because I was a pastor and my wife a teacher, um, there was no escape that, yes, you know, we were in an income range that did place us in the wealthier sec section of the world's wealth. We did control a lot. God had given us um, what we have and and that we aren't an owner we are a manager and as a manager then I'm accountable for what I do with what has been given to me there's a assumption and this would be the audience that James is even writing to that <clears throat> there are those in the and, and you can see this a bit from the Old Testament the Old Covenant that rich people are somehow more loved by God. They have more. And so there's an assumption in this first century audience that uh, those who have and those who are rich, then they are more loved by God. And those who are sick and those who are suffering and those who have a hard time, then they aren't loved. And there must be something wrong in their life or something wrong in their family's life. And I would suggest to you today, in the, in the New Testament scheme of things, in the New Testament, New Covenant, if you look at the writings of Jesus and in the New Testament church, that rich people are this, they are more responsible. They've been given more, and, and Jesus, as he spoke, talked about the, their being an owner. They're, they're being managers. We are the managers, and God is the owner, and there's accountability someday, and there's responsibility. And James, you're the brother of Jesus, so he, he's, got, he's responsible for the church in Jerusalem. And, and this has happened for James. You know, he's, he's grown up with Jesus, 
you know, and I, I can imagine growing up with my set of brothers and, you know, the fighting we would do and the disagreements we would have. And yet you, you find, and James has found as he, as he walked with Jesus, as he saw everything transpire, that Jesus ends up going to the cross and Jesus dies and James sees that and knows that. And yet three days later, he knows that Jesus rose from the dead. When you talk to someone and you know that they have died, and then three days later they're alive, uh, you begin to believe in eternal life. This whole thing about there being a, a heaven someday, that there being eternal life, that there being a new covenant and a new relationship, you, that's the perspective that James brings to us in this writing. He sees what Jesus has taught, and he, and he sees into the future, and just Jesus, he rose from the dead. He has my attention. I'm expecting there to be some accountability and some responsibility. He goes on in verse 1, and he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes, and gold and silver are corroded. The biscuits have gone bad. That what you have stored up, moths have eaten, rust has come to it, it has become decayed because you store it up too much. And now it's not good for anything or to anybody. This direction of James, it's, it's not so much about what's coming in, but it's about what's, what is being stacked up. I have a, <clears throat> several relatives, but one in particular, that lived through the Depression, the Great Depression era in the United States, a time when they would describe to me they, they perhaps did not have shoes, or they had one pair of shoes, or they had one a suit of clothes, and that they had to clean daily, the uh, overalls, and they had to patch the overalls, the knees of the overalls, and, and clean those. And so they had um, potato soup, and they had, they lived a very simple and a hard life for years. And yet I saw that as an adult, and as they were passing on to me as aunts and uncles and grandparents, that they became to me a bit of, I didn't know, what to call, didn't know what to call it at the time, but they hoarded up their stuff. It would tend to keep the, what I would think would be the most insignificant thing, they would, they would keep a piece of wire in a drawer and store it away because they might need that wire someday. They would keep their clothes and even keep them in boxes because they might, someone might need those clothes someday. And so that was, that was what they would pass on to me and to my siblings and to our, our family. And, that, and so you're, you're processing that and, and you're comparing that to Scripture and comparing that to what James is telling us. And I, I remember thinking of that and, I, and even visiting their homes. I mean, this is, um, well, I have one relative. And I'm going to go unnamed because we do do podcasts on this. But I remember I would, they would send me gifts for my birthday, and it would be a used gift. 
because they've been storing it up. I would go visit them, and they would bring out the donuts. We're not talking day-old donuts. We're talking two-week-old donuts. My wife is laughing because she knows what I'm talking about. And they would say, no worries. I'm going to spring a little water on this and put it in their microwave. It's going to be just as fresh as a new one. Not Krispy Kremes, people. Walmart donuts, two weeks old. Mold, no problem. We'll cut it off. Hoarding. To my dismay, I found in our own house, I opened a drawer recently, and we were <coughs> setting up our office, and I opened this drawer, and it was a, yeah, we have a junk drawer in our house, probably more than one. In this junk drawer, though, was all the electronic items. You know, as you get a, a phone, and you, they upgrade your plan, they say, oh, just go ahead and keep this other phone. Well, it was a drawer of phones, <clears throat> and now there, there were flip phones and frijolito phones and <clears throat> uh, old smartphones, and I thought, oh, my goodness, here are what was probably a, a thousand or more dollars worth of phones that instead of giving them away, we put them in a drawer thinking we might need them someday, and now they're good for nothing and nobody. Rotted away, technology, probably can't even charge them. And that's what James, again, is talking about, is what, we, what is stacking up. What is stacking up? And that's what I want you to begin to consider this morning. Because as we talk about often giving and saving and living, and I don't have that example behind me today, but I, I'm suggesting to you often, let's give first. Start somewhere. You'll, you'll search Scripture and you'll find a, a minimum standard of at least 10%. So start somewhere. Start with a percentage of giving. I'm going to put this in, a, in, a, <clears throat> in an envelope or a jar. I do it with our kids. We do a jar. And then we're going to save the same amount. And then we're going to live on the 80%. So we're, we're encouraging you to save. But I'm not encouraging you to hoard, to put stuff away. But find a way to, to give. And I think that's what James is trying to tell us about. This what is stacking up in your life. He goes on in verse 3, he says that the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. This corrosion will testify against you. Have you ever had the responsibility to go into the home of, a, of someone in your family that has passed away? And you go into their home and you, you go through their closet of clothes and those clothes, they smell like the, the shampoo or the cologne that they used. They have treasures, that, you know, uh, collections and hobbies and things that have added up through the years and they've, they've held those close to them. They've showed you their, their collection of coins or their stamps or guns or whatever it is, the antiques. And they show you these things, and they're saved such great treasures, but now they've passed away. And you've got the responsibility to go through and, and try to figure out what to do with this stuff. I mean, what they thought was a treasure, and you're thinking, my goodness, what a mess I've got to clean up. And this could have been sold, this could have been liquidated, this could have been given away to help someone build a house in Guatemala. 
could have been used to support some mission work or experience, could have been used to, to do something of some good for the benefit of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom of God. How are we doing with what God has given us to manage? Do you have savings? Or do you have the extreme of that and you have a bit of hoarding going on? I sadly noticed this week several folks I know and they're, they're moving and, they're, and they don't, they're not giving anything away. They've already moved and they, they're selling pieces of plastic and pieces of foam and used books. And Could this not be a blessing to someone? At what point do we simply give? Not because we're going to get back, but be, because there is need in the world. And, and God has given us the resources. He's, we are the rich people. <coughs> and God's given us the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. So do I, do I sell everything? I think not. You see, when we walk through the life, we examine this, this person that's passed away and I'm walking through their house and I'm looking at all the stuff that's left behind, it, it tells a story. It, it, it's the example that we leave behind for our children, for our grandchildren, for those that inherit this stuff. You see, we, we have a tendency to, to have more stuff than we, than we have life, than we have time. And maybe that's the goal to some extent, you know, you, you live in this life and you, you keep so much and you save so much. And, but what about those times when God does prompt us to give and we don't, we don't give. You see, we're, we're consumed with what ifs. We tend to trust in wealth and not the one who richly provides. See, it's not a problem. When, you, when you're on a daily existence, and I, I see that. I see that at times in Guatemala. Well, you, you're living, you're depending on God for daily existence. You're trusting that there's a God who is able and a God who richly provides. But start to give me a little. Start to give me a lot. And our, my tendency... And I would suggest your tendency is to begin to trust in your wealth, your ability to, to do what you can do, the ability to, to make it, to the, the ability to make an income. See, this is the struggle. This is the struggle. There are times in my life when, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm giving, I'm, I'm percentage giving, give, save, and live on what comes into me on a weekly basis as I work or, or as I, I'm earning an income. But then all of a sudden, I sell that property. All of a sudden, I get this large bonus check. And then I'm starting to think, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure it fits in those give, save, and live buckets anymore. Maybe God gave me this so I could hold on to it a little bit. I gotta keep out the moths and keep out the rust. But it, it it's me and mine. 
That's been a, that's been a challenge in my life at different times, and I, I wonder if it might be for you. See, we have what-ifs. Once upon the time, I had some stock in this company. Not a lot, and not a, as much as others around me. And I would be in meetings, and everyone, this was company stock, and it was going so well, and many had half a million dollars or a million dollars in stock. And they would talk about you know, how it was doing. They were checking it every day. And they were, <clears throat> you know, in, in my path of not having so much stock, but having, you know, other responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And I, and I wondered sometimes, because in my, in my way and what God had called me to do, I ended up giving. And many of them thought that was foolish. But one day... One day, and very suddenly, uh, the economy went bad, and this company was deeply affected back about 2008 or nine, and that stock went from like $80 a share to like worthless, and lives ruined. Guys who had worked for 25, 30 years and watched that stock and built that stock and, and saw it become worthless, the moths had gotten to it. The rust had come. They'd spent a whole lifetime of energy building up and stockpiling and perhaps hoarding and making life decisions that was about building this up and then all of a sudden it was gone. James chapter 5 and verse 4. James says this, Look, look the wages... You failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields or crying out against you. See, there's two, there's two people in this scene. There's the, there's the one who is to pay the workers, and then there are the workers who are working the field. And, and those workers, I've seen that. Those workers, I've been that worker and crying out for some justice. God help us. We're working, we're laboring, we're not getting paid. And yet the one who is to pay, the one who has the responsibility, the one who has the accountability, and they're not paying. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The tendency when we, when we receive and when we have and when we stack up, we have some choices to make about how we manage. We have some decisions to make. And we could be tempted to choose loopholes. I hope that translates. But it's a hole. It's a gap. It's an excuse. You know what? I, these guys are working, but I don't have to pay them. You know, I don't have to pay them as much as that. I, I could can, I can make a cut here or a cut there. But the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And here's the thing is resource people, those of us who have, those of us who have the responsibility and those who are, of us who are accountable, resource people shouldn't look for loopholes to get by but doing less. Resource people should look for opportunities to do more, to be more generous, to be more giving, to be a more of a help, not look for excuses to not be. 
He goes on in verse 5, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have served yourself. You have eaten where you wanted to eat. You have lived and vacationed and done what you wanted to do. And you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. I've tried to... We have one thing to kind of help make this memorable. Because you may be wondering, how, you know, this is, I'm not sure, you know, if I'm rich or not. And I'm hoping I can convince you that you are rich today. But maybe you can remember this. It's to start giving while you're living. Because what you're holding is molding. Remember that one. Discuss that in small group this week. Start giving while you're living. Because what you're holding is molding. The biscuits are turning bad. What I want you to be able to do today is just consider where you are. Now it could be that you're, you're not stacking up anything. You're not hoarding anything. But because it could be that you, um, these percentages are a little off because you're actually spending 110% of what's coming in. And so it's very hard to think about giving 10 and saving 10 and living on 80 because you're spending 110 or perhaps more. And there needs to be an adjustment. There needs to be margin in your life. When there is no margin in the area of finance, you have one of the greatest stressors of this life. You have the, one of the greatest uh, attacks on your, your marriage relationship when there is no margin in your life. Becomes what is discussed around the dinner table and what is discussed at night before you go to bed. And it, it is what keeps you up at night. And so for that reason, we're going to continue to talk about giving and saving and living. And I'm going to give you budgeting tools. Dave Ramsey. So that you can begin to apply and begin to consider. What I want you to be able to do today, though, is to be able to look at honestly where you are. Because if you're not hoarding, then why aren't you hoarding? Is it because you're, you're so focused on, on advancing the kingdom of God that it's not even an issue for you? It could be. It could be that you're not hoarding because you're spending way more than you're making. Could be that you're not hoarding because you're in a season of struggle right now. It could be that you are hoarding though. You have some things that you aren't using that could be liquidated. You have some things that perhaps are deteriorating as you're sitting, them, sitting on them and watching and waiting for this rainy day. close with a question what what would you what would make a difference for you a big difference for you and what would help you make a big difference we talk about financial stuff and the application of God's word multiple times throughout the year and I, I want you to be able to embrace that challenge to be able to process your life your habits, your lifestyle against the Word of God. Not me. Don't be mad at me. You can be, but I'd like for you, though, to just look at the Word of God. 
This is how God builds your life and builds mine. And we, but, but we can dismiss it because, ah, you know, that, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. I know what he's saying about giving, but others have more than me, and they can give. But you actually, as you grow in the faith and as you mature in the faith, you learn that, you know, I, I've got I've to process my life through the filter of God's Word and not try to dismiss it, not try to wash it away, but try to actually look at who I am and my life and, and where God's leading me to go and just answer honestly. And maybe ask somebody to help you. You may be here today and you think, I, you know, give and save and live. I, I need to do that, but I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to help me prepare a budget. There are people here that can help you with that. Others of you, you're, you're in need of a job. You're not hoarding because you need, you need God to provide an opportunity for you. Well, we can pray with you for that. We may know of an opportunity. But others of you this morning, you've got some resources. You've got some stuff. And I just want you to process through what God perhaps could speak to you through his word today. Let's embrace that, please, as a church. And let God build our lives. David, why don't you guys come up for a minute? I want to invite you to stand a moment as we pray together. Lord God, we stand before you today. We stand before you, a people who, God, I, I believe this church, this, this is a church that is hungry for you. We want to see you do uh, your work in our lives. Not, not anybody else, but with me. I want you to, your word to be the filter, the, the peace that helps me lead and walk in this life and be more like Jesus every day. And I believe that's the, the heart of many that are gathered here today. And so God, as we consider giving and what we can do and what you have called us to do, and where we are in relationship to rich. God, would you have your way, Holy Spirit, among this group today as we seek to build a life that is founded on the Word of God and a walk with Jesus that is real and authentic. Lead us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name.